Welcome back, Pumpkin Valley. She's Juliana Osborne. This is Inside Exec. Today, we're going to look at a couple of scenarios that are in broad terms about succession planning. It's about being in a family business or a family company. One part of it is that you personally have been involved for a while, don't want to be involved anymore, but don't want to lose touch with it, either in financial terms or influence terms. Other part of it is that it is a long-standing family company, many generations, and now in the succession planning, you've identified that the next generation are not interested in pursuing the practical side of the business, of the doing, but they still want to be involved in the benefits and don't want to see that the family company lost to some other organisation after all those generations of work. So if we look at the first scenario where you as a family member have been part of this family business for many, many years, perhaps generational, you no longer want to be an active part of the organisation, but you don't want to lose the benefits of being part of that family organisation. What do you do? I think the most important thing is to actually think about exactly what you want and then formalise it with the other members because it is a bit unrealistic to think, oh, I'm not interested in this family business. My passion is in something completely different. I want to pursue that. Then be one of those nuisance people that will constantly criticise at dinner table and you wouldn't do this or I wouldn't do that. And how come the shareholdings is going down and, you know, I expected more. You actually lost your rights if you decided not to be there. There's many ways that you can have a bit of involvement or exposure and maybe even some return by making it clear. One, you could be a member of the board and that will be as if you are not a family member then you are a board member like in any other board where you can have an interest and you can give your expertise and your knowledge and, and all of that. But you're only getting paid if you're looking at the monetary side, what a board member will get. If you want to have shares in the company, buy them like everyone else. Or if they've been allocated to you by inheritance, that's a different matter as well. So that's one way. Another way is to, again, what I'm talking about here is formal um, roles. Another formal role could be an in-house consultant, where what does that look like and what's expected of you is written down in a proper contract just like in any commercial um, organisation, and you do that. Other than that, don't rely on the fact that I have the name. In My name is that company's name. I'm the grandchild of the 100 years of founders, etc., and I have rights. Well, you don't. Your rights is you'll be a fully effective and contributing member like the others they can't do all the work and you're swan in and out yes you probably can be an asset but identify that that niche that you can bring to the table and it'll be unique unlike hiring a different consultant unlike another board member that understand the industry you understand the family values you understand what your heritage gave you so you do have something to offer and then once you commit to that you've got to give it its full time 
you can't say, well, no, I told you my passion is to, you know, um, be an athletic. And here it's, you know, oh, I haven't got time for this. It's no different to any other contract. You've got to do that. If you do that, then you get what you want. The family will respect and get what they want. And you have that continuity. If you don't do that and you want to be the person that says, you know, I'm busy, it's family, they'll understand and break your contract, then that will go the wrong way for everyone. Everyone will start getting on everybody's nerves and um, there'll be conflict. So avoid it before it happens. I think the important part of identifying what you can contribute is identifying why you want to change the role that you've got. And to be honest about it, to not try and sugarcoat it into, well, I've decided I want to pursue other interests or I've given X amount of years and so now it's my turn to do something for myself. It's be honest about what it is that you don't like anymore and look at is there ways that you can change that focus and change that that contribution, as Fuliana has said, so that you're doing the things that you are passionate about that you feel are important for the the ongoing life of the company or the organisation that align themselves with your skills and your interests. Because if you identify that your skills are in the promotional area, for example, but you don't really want to do that anymore, then look at are there other skills that you're not utilising or haven't utilised up to this point that you could contribute, you know, find a new direction within the organisation, find a new area where you can contribute that you haven't in the past, and that might spark a bit more interest. But if it is simply that in being honest, you say, I don't want to be involved in the day-to-day anymore, but I do want to still be part of the organisation, identify why you want to be part of the organisation. So if it's because I think it's important that there is a family member still involved, in the organisation, then find a way where that contribution is important enough for you to still feel like you are contributing. Because if you're just there as the figurehead, if you're just there as the the namesake, so to speak, um, you're not contributing anything. And you then, uh, therefore, don't deserve to reap any rewards from it. So let's let's be very clear about it's, it's a give and take situation. You have to put in to get out. You're not due anything. You know, you've had the benefit of this, of your input and this organisation's return for all of these years. At no point were you given anything just because you were there and you had the name. You you still had to contribute all of that time. Nothing changes. If you don't want to contribute, you don't get the rewards. But there should be some way that you can identify that you can contribute so that you can be part of that, the ongoing rewards of the organisation. Other part of the scenarios that we talked about came to mind when we were talking about the topic because here in the Hunter Valley in New South Wales, we have at the moment a very local issue about a a long-term generational family who have decided to sell up. They were one of the original families in the area and I think now up to fourth generation and it is that generation that have identified in their succession planning that they're not interested in pursuing any of the practical side of the the one making that happens uh, as part of this family's holdings in the area and so what they they have done 
is split up the holdings, so the land and the business and the winemaking and the retail outlet are all going to be offered as separate entities. The family will retain some of the land. I think probably last time I saw it reported was the, the original land holding that was set up all those generations ago. They're going to hold on to that land, but they're selling off everything else. And that was a decision that they made jointly as a family. Everyone knew what was going to happen and how they were going to approach it. What also came into that, though, was that it's a very public arena because the public feels like they own the, the brand, the name, the identification of the area with that name and its history and, and all of those things. And not only did they have to be happy about how they were managing that within the family situation and the company situation and the financial situation, but they had to really think about how they were going to approach publicity of it and the, the backlash that they might anticipate from the community because they'll all still have to live in the community. And so that, that was an added layer of thought that had to go into the decisions that they made. And I think that's a very interesting one because it's almost that, that last bit about you owe something to the community and the name. Maybe that can be put into the conditions to the buyers is that it's still recognised as maybe using the same name maybe using a similar name that gives the same value and and connection to their community so that might make them accept that it is part of it's not just going to be changed to a global name pardon me that nobody recognizes or takes it away just so it's still a product of or it is from you know the original and a continuity of that recognition that that's it but it is in a way it looked like it's been thought through the way it was divided and there's agreement and sometimes it's probably a better way to do it than to just carry on even though your heart is not in it because the whole thing will collapse and everybody will be unhappy so Mm -hmm. in this sense it sounds like it's well thought through but it is very complicated and complex because it's got many facets. Another interesting example that I was involved with in the late 90s, Mm. 1990s, was concrete manufacturing companies. There were two Australian companies who were competing here in this country who were bought out by an English company. And it was the decision of the purchasing company, the English company, that they wouldn't change the branding. One of the companies that they bought here was a very well-known big corporate organisation. The other was a family business that was well-known within its client base. Mm. And the customers of both those organisations were very product loyal. Mm. And they introduced a system where they didn't change the branding. Those of us who were in the organisation knew that they had been taken over by this much bigger organisation that was unknown in this country. And that the plan was that a staged approach to changing the branding over Mm. and all of the things that normally happen when you change branding from one brand to another. And so they changed the big corporate organisation, first of all, and then they moved on to the smaller uh, family-owned business. And that took a much longer time. So the, the corporate change to the for the big company happened in about two years but with the smaller company it took nearly six years before they had finally changed the branding over 
And in that time, they'd been able to talk to the clients, to the customers and say, look, we're downsizing. The two Australian companies said we're downsizing. We're going to share resources. They, they talked about sharing resources. Mm-hmm. What yeah. that actually meant was that all of the concrete that was coming out of particular areas was yeah. one mix, one recipe. And their customers had always believed that different recipes came from different companies and so the, the concrete was better or worse for certain situations and so they would buy on yeah. brand. And then suddenly they were educated to understand that it was going to be this manufacturing process. Mm-hmm. Nobody talked about it being different recipes. No one asked about, you know, you're going to use the high mix, or I shouldn't say the companies, are you going to use this yeah. company A's yeah. um, recipe or company B's recipe? They were interested in getting product that they could use and that mm-hmm. there was recourse if there was something wrong with it. And so the, the education process about the product happened before the education process about the organisation. And so they were mm. happy with the product and so they accepted that, oh, well, you know, that, that's what happens. Organisations get bought out, mm. they change. But what we're getting as a customer is working for us. So essentially it doesn't matter. And yeah. it was all about that education process that took mm. a long time. And so it's not a matter of sitting down in either of these scenarios and deciding in your succession planning that this is going to happen and so we'll tell everyone now. Yeah. It's about thinking about it from the customer or your client's point of view, what is going to be acceptable to them, what's going to, to keep them loyal to you and your product or services, regardless of what happens in the management team behind it. Because if you think about big organisations, banks or any of the, the large corporate institutions, as customers of those, we don't care who's in charge. We don't care how many times they change their management structure or their management capabilities. We want the product or service that we we bought or we expect to get. And so if, as the the business owners, you think about that first before your personal involvement in in these changes, you're going to get the transition right, regardless of what it is. We're going to leave it there now that I've had the last word. Once again, once, once a year, I like to have the last word. (laughs) <laughs> I'm Kim Bailey, she's Juliana Osborne, and this is Inside Exec.